Welcome everyone to the final session of this year's Georgetown Literary Festival. So we will be talking about anthology as a microcosm. And our, the speakers today is myself, Derek E, and Anna Tan. So um, just to give you a bit of background about ourselves, um, uh, my name is Derek E. Um, my, uh, my day job is I work as a placemaking consultancy, but I'm also an editor and writer. And um, Anna, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Anna. So I'm also an editor and writer. I do that freelance. I also do a lot of ebook formatting at this point of time. Um, but uh, one of the things I edit for is the Penang Art District blog. Um, and I also work with the Malaysian Writers Society. So with me today, I would like to show you guys this book. It's called Homegrown, a nutmeg anthology published by My Malaysian Writers' Society. And this was edited by Anna Tan, and I will be speaking to her about this book. <laughs> and so I also have Derek's um, anthology by Fixie Novo. It's called KL Noir Magic. Um, so we will be talking about KL Noir quite a bit. Yeah. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay. <laughs> so um, first of all... Um, I believe Anna might have some questions for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's not be so awkward. <laughs> uh, just to clarify, we're usually the listeners in the panel session and now we got the chance to speak. So we're slightly awkward. Yes. Okay. So um, I understand that Kale Noir Magic is like your first fiction anthology. I know you do place-based uh, stuff, festival anthologies, that kind of thing. So what was the... Was there like a big shift with between editing fiction and editing like not so fiction or <laughs> something like that? Um, so, um, basically, with um, KL Noir Magic, I was approached by Ami Mohammad from Buku Fixi to put together an anthology. Um, I have always been a huge fan of the KL Noir books. One of the very first writings I've done was um, I wrote an opinion piece on KL Noir Blue. And... Um, so it was a huge honor when uh, Ami contacted me to do Kel Noir Magic. It wasn't called Magic at the time though, just, um, just to be clear. Um, this book was meant to be the fifth book in the Kel Noir series. Previously, um, so Kel Noir has red, blue, yellow, and white uh, based on the colors of the Malaysian flag. So when we wanted to do a fifth book, we were like, uh, there's only four colors in the Malaysian flag. So what should we call this one? And based on the short list of stories I submitted to Ame, he said, um, okay, maybe magic would be a good uh, theme. He, because he also sent me um, um, a, a song by Olivia Newton-John, Magic, which I thought perfectly captures the spirit of the book. <laughs> so, but, but Anna, could you also let us know a bit more about um, Homegrown, like the title and the theme as well, and, and the, the motive for doing this? Um, so when... Uh, the, the full title of Homegrown actually is Homegrown, a Nutmeg Anthology. So it kind of starts because um, as Malaysian writers Penang, uh, we have always been doing this little chat book which we call the Nutmeg or Nutmeg Zine. Um, so uh, when we came up to, the to 2020, we we're thinking it's our fifth anniversary. We wanted to do something bigger. Um, we don't know how to do something bigger because we're all writers. So we're like, okay, let's expand the zine from a zine into like a full book. Um, the, we 
the title itself came about through uh, various kind of like, we were just trying to figure out what we wanted to bring out of this whole zine, uh, this whole anthology. And one of the things which drives us as Maraitas Penang is mostly we want to give platform to people in Penang, writers in Penang or who are from Penang to talk about their city or to talk about their state. Um, so we're talking about, you know, being something that's homegrown from the from the state itself. And at that time, I think when we were thinking about it, there were a lot of people groaning about, oh, the elections, you know, we won, but then it's still no good and this is happening and that's happening. And so there's a lot of groaning c c going along and we're like, yeah, why don't we just merge the two together? <laughs> So um, I've noticed that a homegrown, uh, well, uh, just to explain, Kelnor Magic is a collection of short stories. We have 20 short stories. Whereas with homegrown, there's a, it's a, mix, a mixture of non-fiction, fiction and poetry. So yeah. would you uh, be able to share us about the process of putting these different formats of writing together? Um, again, that comes out from the whole idea of Azim. Uh, one of the reasons we always had poetry in Azim was because the few... Two, Two out of four of our founders for Maritus Penang are poets. They mostly publish poets. And we're like, we can't say we want to produce something, but we don't want to publish what you write. So it's always been prose and poetry. Um, we've always said that, okay, we want to have um, nonfiction in it. But until this anthology, we had very few non-fiction submission, uh, non submissions. So this was the first one where we actually dealt a lot with stories about real life in Penang instead of just like, you know, fiction stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when we're looking at this anthology. Uh, I mean, we always have different mixture of writers that we know, writers that are new. Um, and I, I do see a lot of like names that we know, Lily Jamaluddin, Bismi, uh, Terence Toe, um, Fazli Shah, Johanna Bas. So what I wanted to also know was that how was the process of like selecting it? Did did uh, did any you know writers surprise you? Because there are also a lot of new names. Were there any new writers who were like, "Wow, I've never seen this kind of story before," or something like that? Um, just to clarify, the the selection process was done blindly for KL Noir Magic. So what happened was we received more than two hundred submissions, mm -hmm. um, and we had to choose. We whittled down the submissions to which ones we wanted to include in the book. But you know, with 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 fixie books, there's a, a fixed length for how many stories can go into each book. So in the end, we uh, chose 20 finalists, but we did not know who wrote all these stories. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we had a slightly longer shortlist, which we had to go through and vet. Um, one of the criteria I wanted to use was um, a diversity or diversity of representation. Like, you know, how many stories were people from KL? How many were from beyond KL? How many males, females? Mm -hmm. um, that sort of stuff. So um, in terms of like new writers that surprised me, um, I would say that there were quite a few. Um, with with these short story anthologies, over time, you know, you, you do see the fam familiar names, you know, and, and th they become like the, the staple of mm -hmm. the anthologies we have locally. So with this one, we really wanted to highlight some of the lesser known writers. For example, there's one called um, Nazrin Abraham, who's, this is his first published work. And I, I, I really liked it. And I thought like, oh, this was something that not only explored a part of KL that not many people know, because he was specifically addressing a, a, an art gallery in uptown Petaling Jaya. 
called Minute in it that, that's no longer around. Uh, it was busted by the cops because of some issues. But yeah, to, to have that captured in an anthology about KL was quite, quite lovely. <laughs> I think this went back to what I think one thing said in the earlier um, panel about, you know, capturing memories of places and making sure that people still remember them even if the place has gone or like closed down or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just on, I wanted to also ask you about the theme, right? For for homegrown, like how did you feel reading the submissions that came in? Like, was there any sort of threat that bound the, the kind of works? Um, well, we didn't have to deal with like 200 over submissions. Our submissions were actually quite low. We were a bit worried at that point that, oh no, we might not have enough. Uh, but I think what came out very clearly was this kind of love for Penang or a bit nostalgic a lot of times, like, oh, I remember this used to happen. That comes up a lot in the non-fiction um, pieces, like, um, back when I was young, we used to do this, and but you can't do it anymore, that kind of nostalgic feeling. I think it's also to do with the place, like, um, there's one which, uh, it's, it's a fiction story, um, but it's also based on, like, someone's memories, like, she goes back across the bridge, to visit all her old places where she used to live where well, before her husband died, that kind of thing. So it's it's a very strong of like strong sense of yeah, nostalgia and trying to remember or trying to hold on to those memories. Yeah. I, I do remember that story and it's quite <laughs> lovely. It basically tells the story of an, an older Indian grandma who's mm -hmm. taking a, a who's taking public transport yeah. through Butterworth to revisit old places. Yeah. And it's it's quite beautiful. It's it's quite stunning to to read the stories that were submitted for a homegrown. Um, just to ask if we could ask Swarna to help us read one of the poems, just to give you guys an idea of what sort of um, submissions that we that was received for homegrown. Um, yes, please. My grandfather's garden by Chi Siu Hong. My grandfather's garden is found in a pot of Chabai Burong. A manic spray of leaves and red and green. Rockets too, obvious too bright, like rude words, shout unafraid of being seen and spoken. How tenderly he tended the plant, fertilized the soil of his heart with nutrient-rich liquids, fresh from early morning family emptyings. He rose late in the morning those days. There was nothing much to do. He had fallen off his bike some time ago and was forbidden to ride and Simbang with his kaki at the Kopitiam for breakfast over. Kopi kau, nui katau iu, and loti kiap. Jalan-jalan in the pasar, si pelau jua, and check-check the newest obat from the Bay Lang. And testing him with betul punya tak? Ini bikin obat kepala sakit, pening, patotnya, bepang sai. Semua pun boleh. Nak try satu botol? Tuck the free sample bottle under his armpit. Terima kasih, and go. Back the next day for more. Stroll to the Bay Moy Ai under the big colorful umbrella for Kiam Chai. Duka in a translucent plastic bag tied with pink raffia. Then put on his gray helmet that looks like a smooth turtle shell, its flippers stretched and elongated into thin twin straps. Fasten the buckle under his chin and ride to Pantai Berse which was where he wanted to go all along since the time when he woke up before he went to bed, last night and this morning, and all the nights and mornings before this one. 
he sits and watches the tide pass in and out where he stays, seated on a stone marble bench, framed by twigs scattered like ink stains on the sand, crow callings dark echoes, perched in the cashierinas, shadows drawn tens of soft needles and shade, shaped by the wind those mornings the sea. He fell again because he wanted to be there finally. He was too wobbly, too large, too clumsy, to everything so the kapchai could not hold him to life. Too loud, too slow, too fast, to everything so the casket could not hold him in the fire in the furnace. I saw him rise in the ashes, bright cinders, too red, too loud, rising in the wind. Thank you, Swarna. So that, that gives you an idea of what, what to expect in Homegrown. And um, relating to that, I wanted to bring up um, another story that was uh, in the book called The Goddess and the Sea by Wan Ping Lim. I found that it tackles, um, you know, the, the deities of Penang, but it also takes liberties with imagining their relationships and what sort of um, things they face. Um, you know, the portrayal of them as flawed beings, not just as perfect uh, figures. Was there any concerns about depicting these religious icons when you were editing the book? Um, I think when we were editing, we were looking more uh, at the story itself, like how, for me, when I look at it, like, does this feel true? Would um, I think it's, I don't know, because when I was looking at it, I thought that it felt like something which could be possible. Um, we don't, we, we try not to do anything which is obviously, you know, someone might get offended by. Uh, but I think that um, when it comes to fiction, sometimes there are some liberties that can be taken. Um, it also comes to a fine line of uh, how rooted you are in that, in that kind of, uh, do you call it, culture. And I feel that coming from the person that, it, that who wrote it, I felt that she, she, she has a deft touch. She knows what she's doing. She knows the culture well enough to understand that um, what, what can be explored and what should not be explored. Um, I think also in your stories, there were some, there was some which talked about goddesses and gods because magic as a theme, it's very supernatural. And there's, you know, it's different levels of belief maybe in like how much you deal like how much different people um, believe in certain deities or not. So how did you also deal with that? Yeah. Um, so for me, this was a bit of a tricky subject because prior to reading the story that I, I read in this, right, I found that the the way that the, the relationships between the deities were depicted so gently and with such thought and care. Mm -hmm. um, but prior to that, I was quite nervous when I received the submission that but that use um, Indian goddesses as, as a mm -hmm. plot point, right? As a, as a focus. Um, I remember being particularly unsure about one instance in where the author, the writer mentioned that um, the goddess crumpled and fell to the, the filth-covered ground. And um, I wasn't so sure about that line. And I remember bringing it up with a publisher and checking up with my Hindu friend. So just for background, my mom's Hindu. Um, you know, but o over time, I guess, um, I, I thought okay, this is not meant to offend anyone. And I tried to speak with the, the, the original writer who said oh, he did not have any intention. I, you know, stuff <laughs> like that is very tricky for me because yeah, yeah. this is my first uh, foray into editing fiction. 
So um, I, I went with the publisher's um, ideas and thoughts on that one. And in the end, I'm, I'm quite happy that the story came out as it is. We, we did not change too much. Uh, we reached a sort of compromise, you know, with the author. But yeah, I, I did find that very tricky to navigate. And when I read your book, it was when I realized, like, oh, there is a way to do this in a much gentler way. Okay. Um, but so talking about that, like how much does who writes the story matter to you? Because like if I'm saying um, when we're looking at Goddess and the Sea, it's someone from that culture. It's someone who is, it, even if they don't practice it, they know how, they know who to ask. So how does how much does that background of the writer matter to you? Because uh, like you know we have a lot of stories. Um, you, even though we are all culturally Malaysian, you have West Malaysia, you have East Malaysia. You even in West Malaysia you have like East Coast West Coast, and I think there's a lot of differences there. And there's differences in people who, you know, if you're primarily English speaking or you're primarily Chinese speaking or Malay speaking or Tamil speaking, that's that's all that kind of nuances. So does that kind of bring, make a difference to you as an editor? As an editor <laughs> of my first fiction book, I would say it was very, um, it made me feel really uncomfortable when I had to deal with um, writings where the author was not of the same cultural background as his uh, subjects or protagonists. Especially if, um, if they were using like villains from, you know, from a different culture. <laughs> And um, I ended up rejecting a, a bundle of those stories, uh, many of those stories, because um, I, I didn't feel like it was my place to, to comment on them, you know, as someone who's not familiar with the process. But um, yeah, I, I actually, I would like to know your thoughts about this. <laughs> <laughs> my thought is I actually don't know. Um, to, an, uh, to a certain extent, uh, it, it, I would say that sometimes it doesn't matter as much. Uh, because there are also a lot of common touchstones. Um, it's just that, like, especially when it comes up, when you say, like, if the villain is always that other race, like, is this a stereotype that we want to perpetuate? Um, it could be true, uh, that some, I don't know, some certain traits might be stronger in certain people, but how true is it? And how do you depict it? Because there's also the, the fact of, Sometimes you can take something which people accept as true um, and then turn it around and say, no, but you have to look at this other point of view and maybe what they're doing uh, is because of what this other thing that they grew up believing. And how do you, and the question comes to how do you balance that, you know, understanding and also the sort of stereotype <laughs> in that sense. Yeah. Well, I hope to explore those sort of stories more if I get a chance to do another book because I think there's quite a lot to, to explore in that area. Um, and if I may check with you, you know, like um, there was a story I read inside this, um, you know, by Kang Chung Yi, which, um, so this was a, a really interesting story where it's titled Visit Penang 2020 with a, with a subtitle. Mm -hmm. And um, when I read it at first, I thought it was a, a satirical piece of propaganda, but, <laughs> but then it was so earnestly written and I realized it also ends in like a really happy note. Mm -hmm. So did you feel, as someone who works both with the Penang writers community as well as the Penang state government, did you feel any pressure to represent Penang in a particular way? Uh, no. <laughs> um, that particular piece is from, I feel, a very, very earnest guy. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of love for Penang that's coming out. And it would, actually, I think he had a different 
I don't think he had a title for it. And I just listed like a bunch of titles, you know. You're talking about this. Why don't you do something around that? And he's like, yeah, I'll use that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I didn't expect that, but fine. Um, but there was no pressure basically to represent Penang in any certain way. Mostly because we are also independently run. Um, this was not like funded by the state or funded by anything. In the end, um, yeah, it was, it was very, it was a very like, uh, independently, privately run thing. So there's no pressure. Um, yeah, but, but for KL Noir, was there a pressure like, you know, it's obviously going to be dark stories, but there's also a lot of different uh, expectations, I think, from a fixie novel book. Like, did you face any of that? <laughs> when an anthology has four previous editions, right, all titled KL Noir, you kind of wonder, like, what else can we write about for the subject? So for Kel Noir, I guess in the end, Kel Noir Magic would, I, I would describe it as the most sensitive collection of Kel Noir stories. Mm -hmm. So if, if there was a pattern I noticed in the previous books was, um, you know, like Noir in Malaysia is, is associated with like violence, darkness, mm -hmm. a, a sort of like a, a seedy kind of um, theme. But with this one, I tried to focus more on the, um, uh, what's that term? Um, the, the morality aspect of noir. So we have um, stories like, for example, with the opening story, which is one of my favorites by Lily Jamaluddin. Um, it's basically a coming of age story as well as the ending story, both coming of age stories in which we deal with themes like toxic masculinity. And there's no real sense of violence, although there's, there's a threats of violence, you know? But I think that was enough to, to capture the noir spirit. You. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you, you're just talking about like your, the first and the last story. So that kind of leads on to the question I had was, how much did the arrangement of the stories like really matter to you? Were you trying to like do something with that? Or was it just, you know, random? It just fits there, so... So, so just to uh, drop a mention about this, this is our program book where you can check out all our bios. And my bio, I specifically mentioned Taylor Swift. So um, Taylor Swift is a huge influence for me because um, her albums are basically, you know, anthologies of stories that, that are interconnected, that are linked, that are linked through different books. There are characters that appear throughout them. So in the process of putting together Kelno Magic, after I had the stories, I decided that I wanted to create something like an album. You know, you, you'll have threads and motifs that come up throughout. For example, one of the motifs I had was Grieving Mother. So there are like three stories in which a grieving mother would be either a, a protagonist or mentioned throughout. I guess the, the end... The end effect was I was really influenced by music. Um, all my life, I've been influenced by music. So even approaching the book, I thought, you know, let's, let's treat this as an album. If I were listening to an album, what, what would I expect? So I guess that's how I did it. But could you share how you, you sequence your book? Um, I tried to sequence it kind of like to bring you on a journey through Penang. Um, it was a bit difficult because... I was trying to get more like specific areas, like if a story is set maybe in only Timor Laut, then we we'll put all the Timor Lauts there. But then there were a lot of stories which kind of spanned um, many places and you can't really define it and say, this is only a Georgetown story or this is only a, a Bailapa story because they, they did travel across quite a bit. Um, but I tried to do that as best as I could, um, kind of like you start off like just with the overview of the city because... Um, it starts off with Goddess and the Sea and, and they're looking 
a lot at the bridge, which is kind of the connection between the island and the mainland. So they're kind of looking at that a bit. Um, it, and because to me, Green Lane is very connected to the bridge because that's where you come off. Um, and that's where the, the second writer was located. So that's why that's the second story for some stupid reason. <laughs> and then we take you up to the north. Um, there was a bunch um, in Marty Mulaut, you go... Badufringi, uh, Tanjung Bunga, Tanjung Tokong, that area. And then you come down to Georgetown. Um, and then we go back across the bridge to mainland. And then we come back again to like more of the south. And then it ends up with something a bit more general. Yeah. Um, I, I remember a chat I had with Azmi Hussein, the cartoonist, in which um, he mentioned that Penangites generally don't refer to Seberang or the mainland as Penang. Penang is just the <laughs> island. So did you come across this in, your, in the submissions you received? Yes, um, if you see uh, those which talk about mainland, more, mostly will talk about both. Uh, those which remember stuff on the island will never mention things across the bridge. <laughs> At the most, they will mention the bridge. Yeah, so that did come up quite a bit. <laughs> um, just to add, right, like w when we were doing KL Noir, we had to, um, we had to pick what, what KL meant to people, right? So the, the safest thing to do, also we rejected a bunch of stories. You know, those were set in Sepang or those were set too far off Selangor, not, not central enough. So in the end, uh, I only included stories that, um, that were this, that are the seven constituencies that make up Wilayah Persekutuan Kuala Lumpur. So that means you can include um, half of Ampang, not the, not the full Ampang, you know, stuff like that. And um, I also noticed, like, you know, why is Wangsa Maju part of KL? Is it? And one of my suspicions was, remember when? <laughs> so this is going to sound silly, but Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez went to Wangsa Walk before, and um, I, I wonder, like, do these things play a part in what dictates, you know, wilayah persekutuan, like how popular the the spots are? Because there's really no explanation. Why is Bukit Jalil and Wangsa Maju part of KL but not Petaling Jaya? Right? Yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that was actually a big question. Because every time I go to KL, I'm like, I don't know if I'm in KL, am I in Selangor? Um, I don't know where where exactly I am. So I'll just say like, you know, Klang Valley or somewhere near KL. And it was quite interesting, like how you were able to put that. Like, so how, what was the exact boundary, I think? Because you also mentioned in your forward, like, like you didn't really end up doing that. You were talking about, more of what was it how do you navigate that boundaries yeah so um uh, beyond the seven constituencies that we used i also included stories that were not too specific about the setting in terms of names of places but more like a sense of feeling i wanted to capture for example the opening story by lily jamaluddin it talks about a hill and i'm going up to that hill in in the city and you know that hill can be any hill in kl for all i know but but what I got through that story, that story was the culture, the KL culture, the going to school, you know, going back home. And I mean, it can be very Malaysian, but it's also what I find to be quite KL. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear, I'm not from KL, yeah? I'm from Suramban. <laughs> so so uh, just like the previous um, KL, KL Noir anthologies, not all of the editors are from KL. So um, my approach to this was, I guess would be slightly different lah, in that sense. You so, know. so what is that sense of KL? <laughs> For me, it's a feeling. A KL is a feeling of freedom. Um, when I, well, I remember my first few times coming to KL was um, being amazed by the offerings that were here. 
I remember Pasar Seni used to sell Siamese fighting fish, if I'm not mistaken. You know, like school bags made of Coke cans, like <laughs> cut up. And it was so crazy to see all these ideas. Um, so that, that, that was what I found. Uh, uh, that was how I wanted to represent KL. Through diversity, through ideas, through, through things that were not conventionally accepted as Malaysian culture elsewhere in Malaysia. Um, if I may ask you now, because um, in your book, you said um, this for homegrown, you've included the honorary Penangite, right? Yeah. Why, why is that? And could you explain that a bit further? Um, so basically for uh, Maritas Penang, when we do nutmeg, we say we only want Penangites. And our definition of Penangites are if you were born here, you may not be based here, but you were born here. So you're kind of like diaspora or if you are based here, meaning you're still physically here. And um, when we talked about doing a bigger anthology, we felt that was a bit restrictive because we don't have that many writers or like we don't know how many people who actually want to submit in that case. Uh, but we also had people who were kind of like, you know, they come and go or they've been based here for a bit and then they've now left, but they still have that sense of like, you know, Penang was once my hometown. I spent like 10 years here. I studied, you know, I spent um, my four years in USM or something like that. And, and they just want to talk about the place and it's still a very big part of them. So we kind of came up with like, okay, fine. We want a bigger um, anthology. We want to open it to more people, but we still want that connection. So we said that as long as you can define to us something very tangible of why you consider Penang your home, uh, in certain, uh, in whatever aspect. And then if, if we, we can understand that connection, then we can, you know, include you in the anthology. So I think we had somewhere, it's basically they're not born in Penang, but their parents are Penangites. So they come back for Chinese New Year. They come back every year for like, uh, reunion dinners. And, and that does give kind of like a stronger ownership, I think, of the island. Cause Penang, the thing with Penang is we send a lot of people away. <laughs> would you say then uh, Fami Mustafa is an honorary Penangite yes definitely <laughs> how about <laughs> just by being based here you are a Penangite if you leave like, yeah you would be an honorary Penangite because you spent many many years here you've built like a life here you know <laughs> uh, also right um, going back to sense of place earlier mm -hmm. um, I noticed one of the threads that combined that linked the stories in Homegrown is that um, the descriptions of food you know like, there seems to be a way that Penangites have with writing about food. Like, even the Feiku Award takes place in Penang, right? And it, and it awards food writers. And um, is there something that you can share about that? Like, your connection with food. Just to add, Anna has a really a sad story called a re Regrets here. And even that, she mentions, like, getting burgers from, you know, this German place, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> um... I would just say that a lot of Penangites are foodies. A, a lot, well, all Malaysians love food. Um, but one thing about, I don't know, I don't know, one thing about us, I don't know whether it comes out, especially in Penang or not, is that we are always thinking of where next to eat. And so a lot of touchstones, I think, like between, like even, like between people like me and my friends, sometimes it's like, oh, you know that place beside that coffee shop or it's beside that other shop. Um, and people, people do come back to Penang to eat. Um, that's kind of like, you know, that the makan kind of travel that's we only just come back to eat. So I think that just comes out naturally in the people and what they write about. Yeah. 
um, if possible now, we'd like to talk about, we'd like to talk a bit about editing, right? <laughs> so, um, in your, in, in Homegrown, you, you are not just editor here, you also have your own story in here. How, how does it feel when an editor includes their own work? Is, is there any sort of like um, things that you have to consider? Well, when we make the selection, so I am the editor for Homegrown, but the selection um, is also kind of like diplomatic. We had a team which made the selection and then I did the final. Okay, this is what we are going to go with. So we kind of had a bit of a voting system. So in a sense, it's not like I made sure my story went in, but you know, everyone else also liked the story, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that it's like some editors do do that depending on the publication, um, depending on what they want to do with that thing. Cause, so it's, it's really up to the editor. Yeah. Were you planning to write something for Keanu or were you like just, oh, I'm just going to edit it? <laughs> I, from the get-go, I thought, okay, I'm just going to edit this. And then um, I, I found out I had to write the foreword and that freaked me out. I went through like <laughs> four drafts of the foreword and like in the end, the publisher chose one of the earlier drafts. <laughs> so so at, at that point, I'm like, okay, I, I, I need to read more if I'm going to write stories. Um, mm -hmm. I find writing one of the hardest things to do, creative writing. I, I, oh, actually, on that point, you have an MA in creative writing. And yet you've included writings from, you know, an engineer, a retired nurse. Can, can you share the process of, of going through the submissions and editing it? It's a lot to do with the story that they tell. Uh, because we wanted to really bring out what people remember about Penang. What, what do people say about the, the city, about the, the state that they're living in. If you're looking at I know because a lot of times people say that things get just rejected because, you know, the grammar is bad, the, the spelling wasn't spell check or that kind of thing. And, but that, that didn't really factor the most. Uh, what we're looking at is, is the story enjoyable? Do we get what they're trying to say? Because grammar can be fixed. Your weird sentences can be fixed. Some of it would also still be retained as, you know, this is the voice of a local. Um, we use slang, we use um, Hokkien, we use Malay. In, in our stories. So it's not so much about the technical aspect of the writing, but do we get what the heart of the story is? Just to add, I'd like to commend um, <laughs> your inclusion of Celine Wu's Ash to Ashes story because um, it was the only story there that was, the protagonists were animals. Um, lang langer, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, is this a, a common fixture in Penang? It is like a very big, um, it is almost a state animal our friend there Ivan has a whole exhibition on langur going on right now in Dewan 3 um, so it is a, a, a Penang species um, it is endangered right now um, and Selinus has always been very ecologically minded so that's kind of like her passion like she she always writes about something about the environment yeah as, as an editor right, including a story like that does, does that also give readers an insight into like the the your your personal preferences or ideas about how Penang should move forward? <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> um, what I try to do is I'm trying to bring out the the what the writers are trying to say. So if we get the story and we like the story, we don't try to fix a message to it. Um, we try to kind of capture the essence of these are what the different people in Penang are thinking of. 
um, rather than imposing what we think should be right. I'm a, I mean, obviously, sometimes certain trends would come out like, oh, if everyone's talking about this issue, uh, people will write about it and we'll be more open probably to taking something on rather than some, I don't know, something which nobody is talking about anymore because we wouldn't be connecting to it in that sense. Yeah. Was there any special like thematic thing which came up that you really want to talk about in KL Noir? Because I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of this supernatural kind of feeling to it. Um, how did you, because even in editing and putting it together, how did you kind of merge that theme? Um, I, I guess the supernatural aspect wasn't at the top of my mind, um, mm -hmm. but it, it did come through because most mm -hmm. of the submissions were seem to address noir through supernatural means. Mm. So there's a lot of like Bomo stories, magician stories. But um, my personal agenda, is, if I may say so, is that I wanted to um, include more diverse stories and diverse representation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I, I really like is um, to include queer characters and queer storylines, which you can get uh, quite a few of in KL Noir. So... Just to expand on that, um, one of the stories, I guess, also alludes to, you know, like like um, the the issues that I guess people go through living in the city, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, aside from Lily Jamaluddin's story, there's another story there, um, one about drug use, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, stuff that's very KL but um, also not commonly spoken about, and yes. So, so were you specifically, because you're talking about diversity, that feeling of freedom, um, I think that ties back to the theme itself. Uh, were you specifically, was that like something that, yeah, you said it was something you specifically looked for. Um, was it something that was super hard to find or was it like, you know, general submissions that they already have quite a bit of that? Yeah. There, there were quite a bit of that, but it was just basically whittling down to the ones I really want to keep. Mm -hmm. But um, actually, this would be a good point to bring up, you know, like regrets or like stories that I have not included myself, yeah. right? Um, I, I, I do want to add that there was one submission. Mm -hmm. So in 2019, um, there was an author that came to GTLF called um, Hiromi Ito. So I love Hiromi Ito's work. Um, and, and there was one submission that came in for Kelnoa Magic that was reminiscent of one of Hiromi's um, long-form mm -hmm. poems. I really like that piece, um, but um, I mean, this is GTLF, so I'll share it here. <laughs> um, but after we came up with a short list of stories that we wanted to include in the book, um, I decided to, you know, go off on my own and try to do like a little uh, background check to just find out more about each author. And um, there was a bit of, uh, there was a bit of, con there was some concerns about this writer um, that was, you know, that was purely within the writing community. So in the end, I guess those sort of concerns edged him just that bit off, off of the book. And um, yeah, I do feel, I do still feel, I, I have all kinds of feelings about that. And I do hope this writer eventually gets his own redemption and appear in an anthology again soon. But yeah, that's all I will say on that. <laughs> okay, so you had that kind of regret, like not putting, but were there anything that, you know, like uh, you didn't expect the reception to certain stories? that you put in or you like, like maybe you were like, oh yeah, it's okay. I'm going to go in and then everybody loved it or something like that. Oh no, I would say that <laughs> all the stories that I put in, I really wanted to have it in. Okay. Um, but um, I would say that the reaction has been quite interesting. We, we actually had a couple of emails 
commending us for for diversity and representation, which which I I know I know it sounds silly in, in like the woke age, right? Like we, we, what we whatever we call now, but um, it it did feel gratifying to know like we we did we did make someone feel great about how Malaysia was being represented in this book. Um, okay, so now just a few fun questions, right? I wanted to ask you about this. Um, as an independent publisher and a member of an association who published an anthology basically on your own, by almost on your own means, right? Um, can you share the process of putting this together and whether someone from the public who wanted to do something for their own home states, mm -hmm. like how would they go about this? Um, basically, you need money. <laughs> uh, but you also need a lot of, I think, um, passion um, and time so what we did was because uh, the our annual zines are basically self-funding at this point of time so we're like okay we'll try to use some of that funds um, just to start off uh, we wanted to pay all our writers because writers need to be paid um, but basically we just put together like a kind of a crowdfunding to say help we need money to print this right now if you can you know, just pre-order the book, send in the money first. It'll help us to get stuff going. Um, and the end, in the end, the the we went back to the society as well to say that okay, we've got this amount of funds. Um, uh, can we cover the rest? It was like kind of like 50-50. So we we took that to balance out the payments. Yeah, but basically putting together an anthology, if you want to do it, it's doable. Um, if you are short on money, you can talk to your writers and say. Can we, I mean, if everyone wants to do a passion project, that's fine. Uh, but if you want to do something like this, we, we, we kind of like, okay, we, we are a society. We should pay authors because we are talking about paying authors. <laughs> we don't want to talk about paying authors and not pay them. Yeah. And just a few last questions. Um, based on all the submissions I've seen here, right, you have a lot of nonfiction entries from older writers, for, for instance. Was there any sort of... Um, was there any sort of measure you took to approach these old these older writers? Not specifically. A lot of them are already part of our writing community, or somehow related. Like we used to do write-ins, we used to do readings, so we've already met them. They're in our network. They're on our newsletter, I think. So they get that in their emails, and then we just send reminders. Uh, you need to send it to us within how many days? That kind of thing. Yeah, but a lot of them were people that we already knew. There were a few which were like just submitted out of blue. And, and then you, when you trace back, it's usually, oh, someone, someone's friend and was sent it by someone, someone. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Did you have to coax anyone to submit any story specifically? Uh, I did actually. Um, so this guy, Orange, you were saying, um, he's a traffic engineer. He's a friend of mine. Um, he always sends these things in our WhatsApp group like, Look at BM, you know, this is the history of BM. This is all the stuff which happened in my hometown. And and because he's always sending that, I'm like, why don't you just write a story like, you know, what was it like growing up there? So yeah, he he did submit it um on time. <laughs> yeah. So that was quite fun. So oh, as editor of KL Nor Magic, right? I, I got a chance to put together a series of video performances with uh, StoryFest Singapore with uh, with the help of Kamni Ramachandran. Uh, we managed to get storytellers from Malaysia to perform the stories from Kel Noir in front of a camera and we did a bit of, you know, fancy stuff. Lah. But, um, you know, if you had a chance to do that with Homegrown, which stories or which submissions would you choose? I'm not sure. Um, I think the Ash to Ashes would be an interesting thing to do because uh, it has 
it has a lot of dramatic like you can play a lot with the scenes I think um, but the protagonists are literally monkeys right <laughs> you've got CGI you've got animation you've got I don't know you can do a lot of things you, you don't even need to shh I don't know I'm not really a movie person I don't know how movies films are made so <laughs> yeah I shouldn't say too much about that Anything yeah. else or shall we open to questions from the floor? Hi. So these are questions from Facebook from Azad. Question number one. What are your regrets about doing your past work? Question two. What stories do you personally want to help writer publish into existence in the future? Sorry, can I hear the second question again? What stories do you personally want to help write or publish into, sorry, I repeat, what stories do you personally want to help write or publish into existence in the future? Thank you. Thank you, Swarno. Um, thank you, Azad. <laughs> so the, for the first question, uh, what sort of regrets I have, I would say every time I write something, I'll give it three days and then I'll hate what I've written, which is why I don't have a diary. I've burned so many diaries. So um, this is also why I struggle writing creative fiction. But I do have like, like uh, earlier when I heard what Regina said, you know, to go back to your vault and look back at your <laughs> past works. And I think I'm going to do that next, you know. <laughs> As for question number two, what sort of writings I want to bring back, uh, bring or uh, help support? I would say uh, lately, uh, place-based anthologies has been on my mind because um, as we know, KL, Penang, Malacca, Johor, these four states command so much attention, so much funding from the federal government. I mean, this is my, my perception. So um, I feel like my home state, um, Negeri Sembilan, because of its proximity to KL gets in, bit, yeah, into the... <laughs> you know, like the West Coast and we're just like one stop on the West Coast. We're no longer like a... Despite our rich history. But um, can, can I hear about your... Actually, I would like to know you, you in terms of regrets. Do you have any? Mm. I wouldn't say really regrets, but there are some of my earlier works where I'm like, maybe I should have edited it a bit more. Um, but not, not really any big regrets because I don't, I don't go back to the past that much. But your story is literally called regrets. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird story, but yeah. Anything else? Is that, oh, sorry. Hi, editors. I have two questions. Uh, number one, what kind of themes and tropes are you tired of already that you don't want to see anymore? Number two, when editors say they want original voice, fresh perspective, what does that mean? Thank you. Thank that you. is a very difficult question. <laughs> I don't think I'm tired of any specific tropes. I'm more, it's more of like, some stories can be retold in different ways. I'm not, I'm, I don't really know like what I'm tired of at this point uh, because a lot of things that I do like to read are tropes. <laughs> it, it's kind of like that sense of familiarity. Oh, I want to read about, you know, the stupid love triangle. Or I want to read about this. And you tropes are useful because then you go back to them because you know what you're looking for. So I can't really say what I'm tired of. Um... I think in terms of fresh voices, it's more of like different perspectives. Um, I think that that question comes out a lot. I think if you are 
if you are targeting a lot of UK US markets. It's not it's not fresh for I don't think we talk about a lot about fresh voices here. It's more of like they looking for fresh voices. And what they're trying to say is that we want something which is exotic, um, but not too exotic that we don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, but for me personally, what I'm looking for is like stories that are interesting or exciting and yeah, that can that can just show the like show the culture of Malaysia, show the culture of Penang in that sense. Do you have just to add on the question about tropes, right? Um, one a, a, a large amount of submissions we got for KL Noir Magic was um, like violent stories where your husband or your lover turns out to be your murderer, and um, <laughs> I really don't like those stories, so I didn't even include one in my in the final. But there was like I can tell you, there's at least thirty of those stories out of the two hundred, which is quite a significant proportion, yeah, in terms of storytelling. But yeah, that that's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's anything else we shall wrap up this session <laughs> I have a question oh. for you yes so yes. like now that you've done this first fiction anthology would you do it again or have you been like <gasps> no never <laughs> um, I, I, I always envision myself as some sort of like um you know, like a renaissance man, even though I, I, I aspire to be one. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing I find is whenever I do something, I, I get very drained and then I try to find another format and I feel I'm still trying to discover my medium. I know writing is, is part of that medium. I'm just not sure what is the right medium. Should it be an anthology? Should it be a novel? I would like to try all of them. But eventually, I feel like all roads will eventually lead towards, um, you know, this sort of uh, telling stories from a place. If that makes sense. Um, so as in more place-based kind of anthologies yes. to spread out throughout Malaysia. Yes. <laughs> okay, that sounds cool. We have two questions from Facebook. Okay. Can we take the last two? Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, I think this is from Vernon. As a Surani cultural activist myself with parents from Kampung Surani Pelautikus, were there any pieces from my heritage community in Homegrown? No, we did not receive any submissions on that. The next one is, as Derek is mixed race, does he feel he needs to check in on certain biases? It seemed like there was some disquiet happening with that short story on Hindu gods and wondering if he encountered something similar from beyond his cultural borders. Wow. Um. <laughs> I remember you asking me as you were editing yes. this story. I actually asked you, I asked my mom, I asked my aunts, I asked my best friends from school. I asked the publisher. Um, I, I, I just, I even brought this up at the My Writers panel, you know. At, at, um, I think that was a couple of weeks ago. This has been on my mind. I, I, I do believe there are biases, but um, I don't think I'm at the place where I can elucidate more on this yet. And I think I do need to read more before I can talk about this further. And until then, can I please ask Anna to help answer this question? <laughs> No, no, it doesn't apply to you. I'm so sorry. I'm the one that's mixed race. <laughs> sorry, Vernon. I really appreciate your question, but yeah. And that shall wrap up our our session, the final session at GTLF with Derek E and Anna Tan. Thank you Thank so you much, all. guys. Thank you so much for having us.